This week's episode of Meet the Brave is sponsored by the Domino Players Association, DPA 510, a social club that's centered around the game of dominoes and is all about inspiring connectivity, networking, and integrating yourself within the community. Come join the crew at DPA 510 every first and third Tuesday, live from Kingston 11, the hottest Jamaican spot in the town. Uh, that's 2270 Telegraph Ave, Oakland, California. Let's get into it. Welcome to another episode of Meet the Brave with your host, your boy Imani Draper. I'm grateful for everybody that made it back and is still rocking with us. To all the new listeners, welcome. What an exciting week. What an exciting week. Um, A tough week uh, creatively and spiritually, but definitely a great week in terms of building and a few projects getting completed. But I don't I don't really want this to just be about that. I want to be able to express some real shit, you know, and so identifying what your energy is sort of dependent on. Fuck if it's not important. And I've been able to identify what my energy is dependent on. And that's exercise and expression. And guess who isn't doing either of those? <laughs> and feeling the effects of them. Um I'm feeling, I'm feeling it, I'm feeling it, I'm feeling it, I'm feeling it. And so I've been trying to, um, you know, do, um, but I'm doing that thing where planning to do both and you just never do it because something else happens and then you get further into the funk and so climbing out of the funk becomes a thing. And I'm only sharing this because it's Meet the Brave and it's my show, so why not? What a, what a perfect, in terms of timing and alignment, Um, what perfect timing and alignment to have this be the episode that this monologue is attached to. And by that, I mean today's guest. And you guys read the description, Dr. Tanya Judge, who happens to be my doctor. Um, Some are going to be familiar with it and some are not. I've had keloids my entire life, but it wasn't until college when they became a visible thing. You know, and it, and initially it was fine. Just kept just kept doing my thing because they weren't that big, and they did they just didn't bother me. They weren't that big. They weren't that visible, and the discomfort hadn't started yet. So time goes on. They're getting bigger. It's getting way more um, uncomfortable, and I have a few excisions, and they come back even bigger. It's like oh shit. So this last time I was like mentally preparing myself to live with them for the rest of my life, you know. And you don't I don't I don't and it's not it's not specific to gender, it's not specific to race, but the impact that these type of things have on your vanity. And for however vain you think you are or you aren't, times that shit by <laughs> whatever variable you want to choose, but it, it's, it's way more than we give credit to because we're just not, we're, we're unwilling to admit it. And I was in that same space, unwilling to admit my vanity was taking a hit and it was all impacting, um, my confidence and, you know, just an everyday conversation, you know? So for let's fast, fast forward to this summer. Things are happening where we're playing bigger shows in front of more people. So as a byproduct, I'm having to do interviews and be on camera way more. And there isn't enough hoodies and and creative ways to style yourself to try to hide it. (laughs) Not things on your face, you know, not keloids on your face. I spent my birthday in 95 degree weather with a hood on. Did every show this summer with a hood on. And never been so fucking uncomfortable, y'all. Like, straight discomfort. And the impact that shit starts to have on you and you and not even and you not even realize it is is like is mind boggling. As some of you know, but as some of you don't, we got to tour Europe this summer and play our music. It's the greatest experience. Like I've dreamt of that. Sh- I've dreamt of that moment my entire life. And so we're in Europe, and 
I, again, I have a hood on every day for every show, no matter what. And it's our last stop. We're in Germany and sitting by the window. And I get a FaceTime from my grandmother at night there. So it was pretty early back on the West Coast. And she goes, hey. And she's like on the verge of tears. She's like, yo, I found a black plastic surgeon right here in like San Ramon or whatever she said. And I was like, oh, dope. But it, like wanting to be excited because she was so excited. But in the back of my mind, I'm going, yo, but no matter what, can't afford this shit. So it doesn't matter, you know. She's like, yeah, we have a consultation when you get back. So be ready. We have the consultation. We go. And walks this lady with this calming guy's presence. And she was looking at me and empathizing with <laughs> with what I had been going through. You know, she she immediately was just like, hmm, you good? <laughs> you know, but she wasn't asking on like from like a doctor's perspective. She was asking on like a human level. Like, are you okay? And I was like one of the first people I was able to be honest with and be like, yo, this shit just hurts. It really, really just hurts. Every day hurts. And she's like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to work out a plan and we're going to make this shit happen. And we begin the first procedure. And then three months later, we do the second. Three months later, we do the third. And here we are almost, what, two and a half months removed from the last one and can say so far so good in the process of dealing with dr tanya judge and everyone over at tri-valley um i learned so much i learned about my own prejudice and and things that i you know just just how we work and we assume that we know things and we don't know shit i assume so much about plastic surgery And as you'll hear in this episode is that they're all aware of that narrative. It's what sells like in anything. No, you hear, you hear about the butt lift, you hear about going to titties done, you hear about all of that. And yes, <laughs> there's, there are, there is that, yeah, that, that, that exists. But what you don't hear about are babies that are born just, just missing parts of their face that these doctors go in and reconstruct. Breast cancer survivors, that after after something, you know, after that amount of triumph, are reminded every day from their scars and their disfigurement. And these doctors are there to help, you know, reshape and re-sculpt. And them stories aren't told. Gunshot wound victims that need parts of them repaired, that these, that these doctors that operate in plastics have the ability to do. They're artists, they're sculptors. Dr. Judge said that to me and it blew my mind. I haven't stopped thinking about it since. And so as I'm doing this monologue, I'm reminded of how tortured um, I was and was never able to share or because I just wasn't, wasn't able to articulate it. Because it's hard to, you know, it's it's hard to, Imagine people understanding something as simple as you not wanting to go to a family event. Like, I just, like, why is Imani here? He's busy, busy. Not, and chances are I wasn't busy. I just was too embarrassed to go. So, to Dr. Judge, to the entire staff over at Tri-Valley, thank you for giving me my life back. Check out this episode with Dr. Tanya Judge. It was nice to have another person in the room. <laughs> <laughs> we are. Do you want me to say your name or do I have to call you Dr. Judge? You can just call me Tanya. Tanya. <laughs> Dr. Judge, that sounds like a, like it's like you're famous. Like, I mean, that's your, that's your uh, one speech. day. Her rap name. Like yeah. one. Day. Yeah. Her producer name. It's like people think it's her rap name. I was like, no, that's just I'm my, an actual my professional doctor. name. <laughs> We're here with Dr. Judge. No, I'm kidding. We're here with Tanya. Tanya Judge, 
my doctor. Um, that's probably a good place to start. No, we don't want to start there. We'll get there. We can start wherever you want to start. We've got to get through a lot, though. At some point, we got to talk about grandma. No, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> we got to shout grandma out, but we don't have to talk yeah. about grandma because this is about you. All right. And your journey and learning more. Um, well, hi. Hi. I just saw you yesterday. I know. It was a great visit. For you, that shit would hurt yesterday. <laughs> you took it like a champ. It's a no, tiny be, needle. Be, be honest, though. Be honest. In in comparison to everyone else that comes through, yeah. like, what are, how am, am I, like, tough or am I, you Dude, know? you're, like, totally chill. Like, you never, like, squirm. Like, that shit hurts. I mean, you never even let it known. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. Seriously. I usually boys are babies <laughs> when it comes to anything <laughs> surgical. <laughs> we call it big baby syndrome. No, that's what's tight, though. You, uh... We're with Dr. J- I'm going I'm, I'm to always say Dr. Judge because every time I see you, it's like cool. Dr. Judge and it's super formal or whatever. <laughs> but um, I, for those, for a few people will be familiar with that story because we did sort of live yeah. that out through social, which was cool. Yeah. And it's so weird because do you, how much of that story do you know? Like how when they formed for me and all that, do you know any of that? I know they formed in your childhood. Well, the the as a baby, like one, I'm so scared to show you this one because, like, if you see this oh, one, you're no. gonna be like, "Oh, we're doing surgery." <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to do surgery. No, I don't know about that one. Yeah. So this uh, chicken pox. So you're um, you're pointing to your chest right now for people who yeah, obviously yeah, for can't, see. can't see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, chicken, the, my chest, my left shoulder, and my left like rib area. Right. And they're, they're, but they're small. This one's not small. No chest isn't small. The the, right. the shoulder and the ribs are, and those are those just kind of. I got used to them. They were always there, jerseys or whatever. It didn't really bother me. But then when the ones formed on my face, yeah, which wasn't until school, which till college, then that got real hectic, you know. And it wasn't like the vanity part of it didn't. Like that shit didn't kick in immediately. It well, that's was, good. Yeah, it was. It was. I was kind of able to live with them. It wasn't until the pain started to set in oh, that sure. the that I went, oh, these might not look good either. <laughs> well, it's a good thing you're not so vain. No, I am. I, I didn't realize it until I met you, and I was like, oh, damn, I feel hella better about myself. Now. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know. It, it was like a, it was a process, and it was around the same time that I met Chris too. That I was like, I'd had it, like in yeah. terms of my ear, how. So we should tell people what we're talking about. We're talking about keloids. Keloids, yeah. Yeah, it's like scar tissue that forms, like, and gets really overgrown. How how in your in your career? Yeah. How many how many patients had you seen? Seen probably twenty or thirty, um, mm-hmm. with varying degrees of keloids, different places in the body, mm-hmm. and different, you know physical issues with it ears are incredibly prominent just because people get their ears pierced and it happens from that yeah but yours on your jawline were um probably some of the bigger ones that i've seen Mm -hmm. i've had one other patient with a bigger jawline one and required like reconstructive surgery kind of like we did for you Mm -hmm. how how was and how would how did that one go do you remember how long ago was that oh gosh that was like probably six or seven years ago it went fine but you know it's it's fine for me, you know. I just, <laughs> I just take it off. Uh, but for the patient, I think it's the most life-changing thing, but it's a lifelong management situation. Yeah. So, you know, it's never completely out of the back of your mind, I imagine. Yeah, and, and that, I was, that was one thing I wanted to ask, too, because we, when we do, I, it's what I see, you know, every three weeks, yeah. I guess it is, and it's we, we talk about stuff, but it's, like, what's happening now, and then it's not revisiting stuff from the past. Yeah. But, uh, I did want to ask in terms of like size, what like where did that where did those range? Because I always I always saw them as like massive, like they were. They're big. Yeah. No, no, yours was very big. Um, the keloids on your right and left jawline and your right ear mm. were very large. The yeah. one on your right neck was Great. impressive. Yeah. Um, and the right ear, you know, it sort of takes over the entire structure of the face, mm-hmm. which can make it challenging not only to reconstruct but also for you to live with but yeah. now you can put your your headphones, <laughs> headphones on and like you're not hiding behind a hoodie, a hoodie. we were uh, watching some of the footage from the documentary and every scene i have a hood on that's every so sad scene. yeah it's uh but it not anymore not anymore like you can't like it's so weird like I, yeah. i've been i always want to go out i always want to be seen and for a while i didn't want to go anywhere you know <laughs> it was great um, 
Yeah. But we're getting, we're all over the place. And this is, again, this is about you. So I want right. to start from the beginning. Yeah. Um, where are you from? So I was born in New Orleans and lived there for three or four years when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And for a year, around the age of four, I lived in India for a year because okay. my mom was transferring medical schools from LSU to UCLA. And two kids under the age of five were a little handful. <laughs> so um, You went we, back with your dad or did you No, go back I lived with my grandparents in India. Wow. It was fantastic. I was like the most popular kid ever. That's, That's the cool. one and only time I've ever been popular. <laughs> and what, what do you think? What do you? Th- why do you think that was? Because I was American in yeah. India, and then I came back and I was Indian in America, and that was not. That was not. Cool. It wasn't as cool as that. No, yeah. especially because I came back and I only spoke Hindi because I was like, now I just speak Hindi. Exactly. And I had to be like, no, now you speak both. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then I grew up the rest of my life in LA. Yeah. What? Um, what do you remember any part of New Orleans at all? I have this dream that. I thought it was a dream, and I confirmed with my dad that it's actually reality. Mm-hmm. Um, there was this bar restaurant that had an outside wooden deck, and underneath it was a swamp with like alligators in it. And I, I had no idea this was actually true. Mm-hmm. And I unfortunately I haven't been back since we left. Um, but and I don't imagine it exists anymore. But that I remember, and I remember a little bit of Mardi Gras as a baby. Wow. Yeah, I think my grandfather like took me, and I was like baby with like diaper on and like beads everywhere so you're so your would your grandparents come over often yeah okay okay they came frequently enough i think probably like once a year and what were your what were your folks roots to new orleans like um i think it was just where my dad got a job okay like he he worked in a number of places my dad's pretty fun he lived in nebraska and arkansas and then was in new orleans and he's an engineer so i'm i'm fascinated by that because you hear you hear about all these stereotypes in the south yeah so being indian in the south yeah. do you, does he he share any of those stories with, or does your mom share any of those stories no you know they don't and i don't know if it had occurred to them uh-huh. they really just share like the funny stories of things that happened to them yeah. just like fun things in new orleans like yeah. the first time my mom came she's gonna kill me if she hears that but <laughs> first time my mom came to new orleans she it's just like culture shock right things you don't understand but she came to new orleans and she saw this bench outside of this like store and she like really liked it and she kept like haggling with this guy to like buy the bench and mm. the guy was like no 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 kept like and she like he sold it to her eventually and then like she walked like 25 feet down and the bench is like again there and it's because it was a like city bench <laughs> like, like things you don't even realize oh my what did what did your parents meet did they meet in any or did they meet in gosh the arranged marriage arranged marriage what yeah, i know i was like crazy what did, do they have any stories from that or my did, mom says it? my dad was a liar because he said he could surf and my dad can't even swim <laughs> like, he just like flounders around it's just it's oh, amazing man. but you know you try to put your best foot forward yeah what uh growing up did you think about that at all like is, arranged marriage yeah oh i was completely against it yeah no but, that was going to be a horrible idea yeah there, oh. But I, but culture, culturally wise, like is that is that a conversation that starts at all, or is it? Is it's it... more the fact that it's now like, oh, we, we can introduce you to people, mm-hmm. and I was like, I don't trust you to pick up my clothes, <laughs> like, <laughs> let alone my life. But like, yeah, I was like, what? <laughs> That's, That's not gonna so, happen. So then, okay, so. But your your parents, they arranged marriage. Yeah. And then when did they come to the States? My dad came to the States when he was 16. Okay. Um, so he was young. He, had a, he has a brother who's like 14 or 15 years older than him who was already settled here in Northern California. Mm-hmm. My dad came here and... I think one of his first jobs was like the paint spinner guy on the Santa Cruz boardwalk. Yeah. Like that was one of his jobs. He just liked to kind of like small things when he went to community college. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he became a nuclear engineer and at, at Texas A&M. Wow. And yeah, he's a cool guy. Wait, what, what does that even look like? How do you go from <laughs> being on Santa Cruz boardwalk? He's to, just a chill bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, he's you t- really I remember cool you guy. telling me yeah. that when we first met, like your yeah. dad is just one of the homies. So yeah, like, he's totally chill. Yeah. And then um, he's, he's about a decade older than my mom. And you know, it was one of those things where he was like, oh yeah, maybe I'll meet somebody in India. And mm. it was like sort of arranged and they met. And then my mom came out here when she was 22 and married and realized that she wanted to she had the opportunity to do something and she went to medical school (laughs) (laughs) she went from like learning like hospitality in india to medical school in america what what was that did she talk about that at all her her journey yeah i think it was more the fact that she like really relished the fact of being an independent woman like financially independent and it's something that she instilled in my sister and i Mm -hmm. um to 
like find your own purpose and stand on your own two feet and then what comes will come yeah but you are a strong like independent woman Absolutely. who can help others like you don't you don't need to be the one being helped Wow, and then and then you and your sister going back to India, or like, <laughs> what was what was that dynamic like? And you here are you two like just open minded, like the world is everything. Like, we were horrible children. <laughs> I can categorically so? say that we were like the worst. I think we terrorized every single like nanny. We were just like, I do what I want. Yeah. Um. But yeah. But going back and. We've had this amazing experience of different cultures Mm -hmm. melding into who we are as women. And it's been very rewarding to have that strong sense of um, purpose Mm -hmm. from my mother. And then this like very deep rooted Indian culture from like the rest of my family. And then this like very chill attitude from my dad. dad. That's where I get that from. Yeah. And then, and then, what was what was for you and your sister? Do you did how close are you guys in age? We are eleven months apart, uh-huh. born in the same year. You cannot plan that shit. Wow. I was an oops baby. The oops. Baby. <laughs> what is it? Uh, Irish twin. What yeah, is it? yeah, that's that exactly what it is. Yeah. My sister's born in Jan of eighty three, and I'm born in December of eighty three. Wow. Yeah. For I- for two weeks every year, we're the same age. And are you, I'm, I'm closer. Yeah, we're very close. Yeah. She's awesome. She's it, she's older. Was it always like that? Though? Were you guys always closer? Was I think so. Yeah. yeah. She was kind of my buddy. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, like normal sibling fights, but she was kind of like my, my person. <laughs> she's great. And when you knew what, you leave New Orleans at four. Yeah, right? four. And back then to India. India for a year and then. Mm-hmm came back to California after that. Yeah, Cal- Cali what, sort of would have been 87, 88? Yeah, something around there. Wow. What was what was that? What was LA like? It was amazing. You would have been, been old enough to know and was kind of have a yeah. idea of what's going on. Yeah. Well, yeah, we were there during Rodney King. We mm-hmm. were there doing all of that. It was it was an interesting time to be there because we lived in Santa Monica, which yeah. is, you know, it started off as just like a like beach town. Yeah. Um, and it was pretty phenomenal, but terrifying to sort of witness, to be sort of so close to witnessing this terrible injustice upon humanity mm. and being young enough to understand that this is so incredibly wrong, wrong yeah. but being too young to really be able to do anything, do anything about it. Yeah. Do, you remember, do you remember feeling helpless at all? Yeah. Was, yeah. And terrified. Yeah. You know, because you're seeing all these images on the TV and you're like, oh, I know that gas station. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those moments where you're like... Things get very real at a very young age, mm-hmm. and it hopefully re- makes you realize that you know you should be doing something in for like the better society as you get older. Yeah. And by the time you, by the time you and your sister come back, is your mom in practice full time? Oh right gosh, now? she was in residency. Oh wow. Um, so she at one point she was a residency at UCLA. Mm-hmm. So she went to med school at UCLA and then residency. She's a ophthalmologist, mm-hmm. and. Um, so she, at some point, just because of the distance, we were originally living in Corona in L.A., um, and we had to, like, you know, she had to study or be, like, on call, and so we would see her on the weekends, and my dad would, like, drive us down um, <laughs> to go see her mom. Um, but it was, like, you know, it was just one of those things. She needed to show us what it was to be a strong woman, and yeah. I, like, completely appreciate that about her. And at no point did I, did I miss the fact that, like, I didn't, like always have her around because Mm -hmm. she kind of I always felt like she was around exactly like even when she was studying she just sometimes happened to be around too but it worked it she was she went through med school and residency while having two small children that's incredible and you those that image of or I guess just the sort of the stigma that comes with oh you have kids young you're throw all your dreams out the window that's not necessarily true and you got to actually see that yeah like firsthand it was hard I imagine yeah. for her yeah. um, but like you know we she made it work we mm. all made it work and now um, if you go in the hallway at UCLA you, every class there's a class photo up mm. and in 1991 every time I passed it I was like hey, my mom, mom. <laughs> it was really cool and then and, and so LA yeah. growing up what what was going just I don't, I don't know I, I, I'm, I'm yeah. fascinated by like like going back in, in that, that sort of revisionist part of us that can go back and think about, because everything, all of my lens of the world is through hip hop. Right. So LA in the late <laughs> 80s, early 90s, I'm like, oh shit, I, <laughs> I need to know more. It, but I imagine it wasn't all NWA, the chronic 
death row records. No. You know, like that's what my lens of LA is. And I think, well, I mean, if you were there and probably of the age, maybe it would have been, but mm-hmm. I sort of grew up like a beach kid. I was like, yeah. I was surfing in Manhattan Beach. <laughs> were you really? <laughs> yeah. How, how old did you start surfing? Um, I started surfing when I was like, 11 or 12. Was it just because it was where you you were in Santa Monica or was it just like... Uh, My mom needed us to do something during the summer. Mm -hmm. And so she put us in surf camp. Wow. She was like, you will now do this. (laughs) Did you you love it right away? Did you grow to love it? I loved it. My sister and I were always water babies. And so, you know, I like... There's some story. I almost drowned in a pool because I jumped in water when I couldn't swim. Because you're just like, let's go. Yeah, because I was like, I love water. Um, But yeah, we like, we both sort of flocked towards it, I think. And I really enjoyed it. There's something like very freeing being out there. Yeah. So my experience in like the like your 80s to 90 was more just beach bum. Just being by the water. What what uh, what would be the soundtrack of those years if you could pick anything? <laughs> Sublime. Really? For real? Wow. Yeah. That's, well, I mean, and, and they're right. They were all right there. That's their Long Beach. Yeah. So, yeah. Damn. They because they were big here. Mm-hmm. And my my so my. My godbrother and my aunt are both exactly 10 years older than me. Ooh. So a- as they were receiving yeah. new stuff, I'm like four and probably shouldn't <laughs> be listening to this, but I'm listening to it. Oh, no, you know? it's and good. So, Sublime. Oh, 40 ounces of freedom. Yes. Are you kidding me? Uh, that's <laughs> like one of the first things I ever bought is in terms of music. What? Cassette or CD? CD. Wow. Cassette, the first cassette I ever had was an Indian cassette. And I try and find it still because I love it so My sister and I love it so much. It's what like, was it? Do you remember? Um, it was, oh gosh, it'll come back to me. Okay. It was like, it's old Punjabi, like Bhangra music. Um, I know that sounds crazy. I want to hear it now. Um, you gotta I'm going to have to find it for yeah, you. I know do. we have it. And the, the tape said Oriental on it, mm-hmm. which it, Obviously, now I think back was actually just the name of the tape cassette maker. So we used to think that that was the name of the band. It's just so you don't know what the name No, I know been. now. Oh, okay. It's just like I'm totally blanking on it. But well, what, okay, we'll come. But what, what was it? What was it about Sublime? Was it was it everything going on around you? Was it the beach? Because it does it does lend yeah. to that sometimes, but it lends to so many other things for me. Sublime, at least, because I was never near the beach. So it just had like a whole like very easygoing like hangout vibe yeah. and being somebody who was I was also super nerdy I don't know if you figured that out about me I was incredibly nerdy I picked that up a while ago, a while ago. I was very nerdy right like it's all book smart and yeah. so that outlet was like finding music that was not that was like very freeing and that you could just like sing along to yeah. and songs that may not have been completely appropriate Appro- but I'd, I'd imagine because you, you like nerdy yeah you're not nerdy you're just really you're extremely smart so I imagine whatever you were consuming had to sort of lend to your you know well I like to anything that has to do with like work or school I like to keep it at that Mm -hmm. and then everything else you compartmentalize it yeah because I'm like I never take my work home like Mm -hmm. I I try and keep things so that the life stays like unburdened yeah right because like otherwise you sort of get wrapped up in all of it and then mm. and you should be able to say like okay that part is over now and now I'm just going to be able to do this and I think that started with being able to relate to music yeah right because it just sort of like sets you free and lets your mind wander and mm. you sort of takes you to a different place yeah wow so okay so sublime sublime would have been what middle school for you then Mm, middle school to high school, yeah. Okay. End of middle school to high school. I'm okay. old. And then, <laughs> stop. <laughs> then what was high school like? What what high school did you go to? Oh, I went to Marymount High School, which is on Sunset across the street from UCLA. Oh, wow. Yeah. It it's and, a private girls Catholic high school. And then I imagine you do, did you take any courses on the campus? On UCLA? Mm-hmm. Like I said, I was a nerd, so I didn't take I took all my AP courses, right, with, uh-huh. like, at high school, but I did genetics research in a genetics lab. <laughs> I had to get a work permit for it. <laughs> it's so lame. It's not, though. I mean, it was great, but it's yeah. also just, like, honestly, like, after a while, I was just like, this is just so reminiscent of the same thing over and over again. I needed a different outlet. So yeah. after I graduated college, before I started med school, mm-hmm. I worked at Abercrombie on Third Street. Just just to do just, it. Just, I was like, I'm just going to do something, something very else. regular. Yeah. yeah, Abercrombie on Third 
On like the promenade. That was, bo- that was booming. Then. Yeah. You see, you probably saw a little bit of everything and everyone. Yeah, and it was fantastic. <laughs> but, but wait, you, you know, you're skipping though. No, because we got, <laughs> no, you just don't get the mole over high school like that. What was high school like? High school was interesting. Yeah. I was one of two Indian girls and a total of 400 people for all four years. At an all-girls school. All-girls school. And girls, uh, contrary to everyone's belief, high school girls might be the meanest thing going. (laughs) You know what? Thankfully, I didn't experience any of the meanness, but I know it existed. Yeah. Um, But I was spared any of that. Um, Just because you were were cool with everyone, you kind of just... I just, I think I was just like a little bit of a nerd child, like, and I was like part of like the nerd child. You're so cool now. (laughs) I don't imagine a nerd you, like. I was. Did you have a lot of friends? Like, okay, what did your birthday look like? What did your 15th birthday look like? How many people were there? Um, probably a bunch of Indian people, dude. All the, just the family? No, dude, we had, like, so that's the whole thing. High school was interesting because, yeah, so there's a Santa Monica crowd of just like Indian friends. Mm -hmm. And those I had like my school friends and I had this whole other community of growing up Indian too. And so those are the people that I used to hang out with and see on an every like weekend basis. Mm -hmm. So from Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I would hang out with those friends. And then I would have a set of friends that I hung out with at school. So it felt kind of like I never truly fit in in either bracket. (laughs) You just gotta go back and forth. You kinda just go back and forth. But high school was like, it was like any other high school experience. It wasn't like phenomenal. I didn't like love it, Mm. but it got me where I needed to be. And I didn't exactly hate it, you know? I I swam, I played water polo. Mm -hmm. Um, My favorite thing about actually was learning photography. Wow. Which I think was like, the most amazing experience I had. Is that, because I, I wanted to get there, that was one of my pressing questions, is when that box got unlocked for you. Right? Yeah. And that was high school. It was high school. Mm. I think, you know, I was always sort of artistic growing up, but mm. I didn't have like a very structured outlet. Yeah. Um, and photography was one of those things that I started out in and I got to really see like and have other people see the eyes through my like world mm. uh, my like the world through my eyes sorry but it and it was something that I got to create with my hands and it, it sort of lends into like why I became a surgeon because I like to create with my hands yeah. the reason why I like to make furniture and yeah. then, like all this other stuff uh-huh. but you create something out of nothing yeah and it's yours and then you can share it with people and That's they can so see cool. exactly what you see and maybe not have the same emotions that you have but it's something that's categorically yours. Mm-hmm. Was that instantaneous for you with the photography? Yes. Yeah, like right away. You know, yeah. yeah. I, like, I loved it. It was, and I ended up taking it for a few years and mm-hmm. I had this teacher who um, was a great instructor and he had a box of his dad's like old things and he brought them down once and there was a very old camera in there and I was like, I'm going to see if I can repair this. So I did and we shot a roll of film on it that was you know, a 120, it was a completely different type of normal role. Wow. And we developed it and it was just like an amazing experience again to just like, I'm like, I'm going to fix this. I want to like create something else. Hands on is very hands on. Well then, well then how early, well, no, two, two parts. Is it, was it your mom hmm. in her pursuit that's sort of like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be a doctor or was that family pressure? Was it? No family pressure. Um, my decision, my mom was like, don't become a doctor. <laughs> she was trying to tell you not to. She was like, don't do that to yourself. Um, the world of a physician has changed. Um, some for the better, some for the worse, as mm-hmm. every other profession has too. So, how, how would you how would you say that for how how would you say better for both for the better and for the worse? I think it has to do with for the better in sense where I think there's more transparency, which I think is great. Hmm. For the worse, where there's a lot of physicians who feel that they are no longer respected for their um, for their knowledge base, yeah, because patients or people will come in and say, well, that's not what I read on, on online. <laughs> and then you have to then explain WebMD. that a little bit of knowledge <laughs> is very dangerous. Um, yeah. So I think in those respects, she wanted me to be careful, Yeah. but it was my decision. Yeah. Um, I sort of just gravitated towards it. When, how early? You know, it wasn't that early. I was, I did bio throughout college okay. just because. That so you was, got prereqs in place. And I got prereqs <laughs> in place, but I like, I always loved biology. It was yeah. just something that was like kind of my jam. And I was not good at physics. Let me tell you. <laughs> physics is its own beast. That shit was horrible. <laughs> that was literally my, I needed that to graduate and I don't know how I it made it. Bad. So yeah, it, it was, was real bad. I struggled. But 
you know, I really enjoyed it. And then I was like, you know, I'm going to go to undergrad. I went to undergrad at Cal. Okay. And so is that is that your introduction to the Bay? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. What year? What year was that? What year were we talking? Ooh, 1997. 90. No. What year did I? No, 2001. Oh. 2001 is so when things, I started undergrad. Damn, the Bay, the Bay in 01. I'm trying to remember. You could not come to Oakland. Yeah, the Bay, the Bay in 01 was different. It was, yeah, it was very different. different. Yeah. And the fact that I live in Oakland now, I love it. <laughs> that it was so different because you were told, like, don't go to don't Oakland. Don't go there, yeah. Because you just don't know the area yeah. and it's not going to be safe. Yeah. Um, and even That's, Berkeley. That was, that was the word around the on campus. There's a word on campus. And yeah. even, I mean, like, on campus, there's, like, one park that's a little sketchy, too. It's mm-hmm. called People's Park. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, um, Exactly right. I live like right on the other side of People's Park. Right so now, to, or you did? I did. Uh-huh. And I used to walk through People's Park to get there. And you're like, it ain't that bad. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, just stay along the path. Just going toward. Don't go toward the trees. Where people are. can see me. Yeah, that's fine. Um, but yeah, so you know, I it was my own decision to sort of pursue medicine. Yeah. It was, it was hard to do um, because Berkeley's very competitive. Oh yeah. It's the uh, it's one of the lands of nerds. <laughs> they all coalesce together. That <laughs> um, it was great, you know. What, and what was uh, I? I have I have quite a few friends, which is odd, that went through medical programs, mm. and I've never seen people more stressed out in my life. It's, really? Yeah, it's, it's it gets bad. It gets was bad. It, do you, did you go through that in med school? In general, I guess. I, I well, yeah, med school. It would have been med school. Yeah. yeah. Med school was interesting. Um, I went to med school in the Caribbean. Yeah. How does that work? Well, if you don't go to med school, get into med school in the U.S., then you, you're like, where else can I go? Did you? So you applied in the U.S.? <laughs> yeah, I didn't get in. My grades weren't just good enough. My MCAT score was fine, mm-hmm. but Berkeley was rough on. But my grades at Berkeley were were struggling. Um, so what, what, I didn't get in. And looking back, to you was it was it just was it? I'm um, obviously it was hard. Yeah. But was it, were you, were you partying? Were you kicking it? Like, this is what my best friend and I always talk about. We're like, what the hell were we doing? She's like, we did nothing. She's like, we just hung out together. We, I was just like enjoying life and being yeah. like on my own. Exactly. And I think struggling to find the balance between work and life. Uh, and it got, it got me. It got, <laughs> it got me good. <laughs> but, but I, but now like hindsight knowing you now and how great you are like i don't know i i I feel like i feel like part of that explains a big deal of who you are now and how you how you approach your practice so how do you end up in the caribbean like so that's the other thing about me i don't quit and i don't stop and i just find another way to do it who's that mom or dad both i think yeah yeah both it's just you know, there's a roadblock here, and I had the option of either doing a master's program here, and mm-hmm. a lot of people were a proponent of that because that would have sort of then fed me into a U.S. med school, ideally. But I didn't want to waste a year of education with just, something that I didn't find useful. Exactly. So I was just going to bite the bullet and go well, maybe the harder route, maybe the longer route, mm-hmm. and just push through. And I think perseverance is probably it's just grit. It's just straight up grit. What school? What what island and what school? Um, it's called St. George's mm-hmm. University. It's on Grenada. Okay. Um, in the Windward Islands, so all the way down and kind of like at the same parallel as Venezuela. Wow. It's far. What was what was it like? It's, Culture shock at all? Or just no. It's just like a fishbowl. Yeah. So you're in this. It's surreal. You're in this beautiful place that mm-hmm. is a Caribbean island, and it's got amazing people and amazing like architecture and culture. Yeah. And then you are like, I'm gonna just go to the library. <laughs> <laughs> You'll find me in this corner. The crazy thing is they have these amazing, huge like floor to ceiling windows in the library that and the library is situated on a cliff at the ocean. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's just very surreal. So again, you had the opportunity to either enjoy that mm-hmm. or like try and be like, you're, I'm an underdog, right? I was yeah. I was an underdog. So I had to prove my way up. Yeah. And that meant like really putting in everything that I had mm-hmm. and not necessarily partaking in everything that the island may have had yeah, to offer. offer yeah. I still enjoyed it. I mean, like I learned windsurfing, <laughs> like I went, <laughs> went hiking. You can see the surfing. <laughs> it's just, it just keeps continuing. Yeah. Um, but it's just like anything else. You put in the time and the effort, and then 
do you hope that it it comes to fruition that's so dope yeah and then how how long how, how many years were you there so i was there for two years okay. you do like all your didactic training on the island and then you do all your clinical work um, in hospitals in the U.S. And God. I chose to go to a very, again, hands-on, very hands-on <laughs> program in Jamaica, Queens, at Jamaica Hospital. Whoa, that yeah. was definitely hands-on. Uh-huh. It's very hands-on. It was amazing. Yeah. It was by far, like, the best experience I had in order to get me, like, get truly ready. solidified to yeah. what I wanted to do. Yeah. And what, and how long was the, the Queens uh, program? So I was there for two years, and I did, yeah. you know, you do all your rotations, like, internal medicine, psych, and surgery and that's sort of where i realized that surgery was what i wanted to do but i didn't know exactly which version of surgery but surgery at jamaica hospital is all trauma all trauma yeah i imagine yeah um so you are very involved in the care of lots of people yeah um so from there i decided i want to do surgery but it wasn't until i did a rotation at another hospital in Queens that I realized I really liked plastic surgery. What, and was it, what, was it a particular patient, particular incident? No, it's just more it? the fact that like, I loved again, working with my hands, yeah. it's like a common theme, but then there was that artistic component only exists in plastic surgery. Mm, there's no- Sculpting and- Yeah, there's no protocol too. It's not as if like you have to hit one, two, three in a certain order. Yeah. It's more the fact that you use your foundation of knowledge from anything from orthopedic surgery from urology and then you apply it to whatever is in front of you right now and then you just build it up from nothing wow which so i really enjoyed that but plastics is one of the hardest residencies to get into what and why why is it (laughs) it's very competitive yeah it's just really competitive um as always going for the most difficult why do you keep going from the hardest things i was like i don't know i just like it <laughs> and you didn't know it at the time that it was hard to get it or did you know that i, I you knew okay i knew but um and again path i took the path most traveled and not the <laughs> shortest path to get to plastics there's a few different ways to get there you yeah. can either go directly from med school into plastic surgery residency which is six years or you take a longer route which means you do residency in general surgery or ear, nose, and throat, or orthopedic surgery, and then you do a fellowship in plastics, wow. which I'm sure you can guess is the one I took. That took eight years. <laughs> and what, and and I imagine that took you a lot around to so many different places, too. Where, it did. Where, where I started off at Cornell in New York okay. on the Upper East Side. Um, I did my first two years there, mm-hmm. and it was, it was a very great learning experience, but I was definitely... Um, like as a resident, you are abused yeah. in terms of like, they own you, they own your ass <laughs> and they will use every ounce you have to give. So I lived in an apartment that was subsidized by the, um, the by hospital. the hospital. Yeah. It was 294 square feet and I used it to house my craft cheese singles and my bed because <laughs> that's all I ate. And then I would just go to sleep um, and then wake up again at like 4.30 in the morning, do it, again. do it all over again. How long, how long was, how long were you up there? Two years, okay. and then um, I transferred to Temple in Philly, okay. which was amazing. Philly. Philly is just shout out to Villanova too. Not yeah, this, yeah, but Philly, Philly's repping. Philly more is um, Philly's amazing. It is such a melting pot of all these different cultures, and Temple itself is situated. It's right in the heart of everything, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. it's it's on Broad Street, and it's in North Philly, okay. and it is in a not-so-fantastic area. Is, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like, Temple University is in a better part of Broad Street, mm. but, like, the undergrad, but Temple Medical Campus is on in North Philly, and it is not a good place mm. to be. Like, they have stadium lighting outside of the hospital so that it is well-lit, <laughs> so that as you're going to your car, you don't get mugged. <laughs> Um, it's true, but you see some of the craziest things there and it's some of the saddest things I've ever seen there, like uh, that I've ever seen ever have yeah. happened there. I had a patient, so I did general, that was when I was doing general surgery and mm. the majority of what we do is trauma. So no matter what, I'm like a trauma surgeon, like you learn executive decision-making to its utmost capacity. Yeah. And I had a 19 year old patient who came in, um, like 99% of my patients, he was a gunshot wound to the chest yeah. and um, he did fine. He didn't hit anything vital. And, you know, I put a chest tube in him and all this other stuff happened. But um, we're having him, like, sign some paperwork. And he was like, I can't read. Oh, 
Because yeah. he never learned how to read. Yeah, 19. 19. And yeah. that's like in the United States mm-hmm. where I grew up and so many other people grew up. And this poor young man, mm. he was African-American. Mm. And like, what fighting chance does he have? He never got the chance to even read. Like, there's something so incredibly inherently wrong with that. Yeah. So I think Philly definitely exposed me to whole new world this whole other world and understanding what people go through it's just that I think was one of the most heartbreaking things I've seen and I've seen like I had to tell mothers that their son had died from a gunshot wound I've Hmm. had to tell but I think that was probably one of the most like I just stared at him and I was like I want to help you but I don't even know how you would you say I imagine it all I I know it all lends to the final product that is you, but that that stay in Philly. Do you think that was a turning point? Like, it was a huge turning point. Yeah. You know, it was tough for many reasons. Not mm. only because the program was hard, and they work you very hard, and you are expected to perform at a very high level. Mm. Um, but the population challenges you just because of the things that they undergo. Yeah. Like, you know, every, like. At some point, it became almost comical when a gunshot wound was just a graze wound because yeah. you would just be like, mm, walk it off. Yeah. But even that shouldn't be happening. Yeah. That's the crazy you part. You shouldn't be shouldn't be that desensitized to it. But right, by, but by you, after your 300th one, you're like, yeah. oh, yeah. You're like, you're like, that's nothing. Yeah. But that's the world that people live in. And so it was a huge turning point for me to realize that there's so much more to be done. Yeah. Um, but it, and it helped me sort of decide that like reconstruction would be something that I would really enjoy doing, mm-hmm. which is why um, when I went into plastics, I went to UC Davis for plastic surgery for my oh. fellowship. And for three years, I did basically trauma and reconstruction for cancer and, yeah. and stuff like that. And it was highly rewarding to be on the other end, to be able to fix something mm-hmm. instead of just treat like the acute problem. Did you live in Davis or did you live in SAC? SAC. So okay. the medical campus that you see is in SAC. Is, is, is okay. in SAC, yeah, okay. yeah. The undergrad campus is in Davis. I lived in SAC and it, SAC is great. Yeah. It's really awesome. And then from SAC back to LA, right? Oh, here. What? You Ta-da! literally, what? Yeah, it's right here. <laughs> wow. And then what, how, what's the connection with you and Dr. Williams? Because that's your partner. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. So um, Dr. Williams has been in practice for 13 years now, I think. Okay. And he started Tri-Valley Plastic Surgery, which is where I'm at. Okay. And um, I had been looking for to join somebody for like since like the last my last year, beginning of my last year mm. of plastics. And um, I like wasn't having much success because there's not like it's like an open forum of like plastic surgeon wanted, <laughs> like that doesn't exist. Um, Just ne- is it is is it like I'd imagine networking and, and it's networking and all that stuff, but it's also using your connections. So my rep for breast implants mm-hmm. which sounds kind of just <laughs> it's very weird to everybody else but it's like Makes it's sense. very important okay oh, yeah. um, you, need, you need a mouthpiece out in these streets um yeah so my <laughs> rep for my breast implants um and these when we were at uc davis most the breast implants we were doing were for people that had breast cancer so gotcha. it was different yeah. but she i was like you know your network is wider than mine um do you know anybody who's looking and her like like colleague here in the Bay Area was like, well, I know Dr. Williams is looking for somebody. So she's the one who actually like hooked it up. Wow. And then we talked on the phone and we met and sort of worked it all up from there. And yeah. I was like very happy. Was it like, because um, a lot of in, in our industry, there's a lot of, you know, to get business deals done, there's a lunch and then there's dinner and then there's phone calls, conference calls. Yeah. How long was it? Was it a long sort of filling out process? Um, It was like a medium long filling out. I think yeah. cause, because it's like a marriage, right? Like yeah. this it's is the like, person you'll be tied to. Yeah. yeah. And like for a very long time and the person you spend most of your days with usually, yeah. you know, like back and forth in the office. Yeah. So we made sure that it was going to be a right fit and, you know, took some time to get to know personalities and backgrounds and stuff like that. And the cool thing was one of my attendings when I was at UC Davis, actually he and Dr. Williams started at Kaiser together back wow. in the day. So they knew each other well. Yeah. So it was a good good way for me to get to know him mm-hmm. and it was it was all good things 
That's so dope, man. Yeah. No, I. You you fa- you fascinate me because. What? You, you know you, you fascinate do. me. No 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 stop because we we were uh, Chris and I and the whole crew we were in we were we were in Europe and when I tell you I like had it with yeah. the keloids like I was just done yeah comfort wise vanity wise just overall just like in a real depressed ass state and didn't yeah. even know it you know and and god bless my grandmother uh-huh. who's relentless and just was like no we're gonna figure this out <laughs> and insurance had run out and yeah. and what sucked about that is that i was receiving treatment and everything is like oh when you hit 26 insurance runs out so we yeah. thought at 26 it's through your 26th year oh so i could have been receiving treatment that whole year and I just stop oh no yeah and, and so that and when you one of your first questions was like so why did you wait so long yeah. it's like well i didn't think i could afford it for one oh, you know gosh. and so it was just like that whole year was just torture um but anyway we're in it's the last show we're sitting, we're at the Airbnb in Germany, and I'm sitting in the window, and I get a FaceTime from my grandma. <laughs> and she's like, she's on the verge of tears, but she's happy. She's like, guess what? I found a doctor. <laughs> but she goes, I found a black doctor. Yeah. You know? And she was just so, she was so excited. It was Dr. Williams. It was Dr. Williams. <laughs> and, uh, and the whole time, I'm just like, I'm like, yeah, grandma, that's cool, but we're not going to be able to afford this. Like, just like rolling my eyes the whole time. Yeah. Like, this is stupid. Like, yeah. we're, going, we're going to go to be let down because they're going to walk in there and be like, nah. And uh, we get there, and you walk in the room, and grandma's energy changes completely. She's like, oh. <laughs> but the way you walked in the room and just commanded it, you you it just... You made me comfortable. And then good. you went and grandma over was the coolest thing to see because <laughs> she was like, and, and, and it's, it's feminine energy too, yeah. because it's like, and it's, it's so predominant in black women, but a lot of my Indian friends, yeah. their mom has that, sa- they have that same shit yeah. about them too, where it's really strong and there's no back down. Yeah. And I, and I do think a big part of that played, it played a really big role in you and grandma's connection too, because you just walked in there just like. I'm here. This is what we doing. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, okay, let's roll. But um, throughout the entire process, yeah. just your 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 uh, your transparency, which you talked about in the beginning, mm-hmm. um, and and because patients do think they know everything, and like <laughs> like I I'm telling you, WebMD, I've been <laughs> I've been all. I mean, sometimes <laughs> they get it right. Sometimes, but then sometimes they get really wrong. It is it is really nice to be around someone who not only knows exactly what they're doing, but will be honest with you about the outcome, mm. the percentage of of it of of it going right, like all those different things, and you 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 had all that, but you had this crazy like confidence like yo I got a plan A B C D E like whatever you want to do I we got needed to, it we did need it yeah. you know and it was it was so cool and I remember after the uh, the first after the because we did what did we do three separate procedures we did no we did no we did the ear yeah mm. and then we did the right neck and then mm. the left neck yeah. and then a little bit more of the right neck right yeah it. so yeah so it and it was. It was these interesting moments to reflect because it would be we do like two and a half, three months in between each one. Mm-hmm. And like the first month and a half of those, I couldn't do anything. So it was like I had a lot of time to reflect on what had, what had occurred yeah. internally, you know, and it was just like, how the hell did I get here? <laughs> and, it's grandma. you know, it's grandma. But then it was like just uh, my cousin said it best. We had a we had to at the Ave. Uh, first Friday at Vamp at Vamp Records in Oakland, and we went out after. And my cousin just hugged me. And my cousin, my cousin Dante, he's gonna be mad at me for telling, but he's he's like five five, and so he was like hugging around my waist, like, man, I'm so glad to have you back. <laughs> but it, it it had been a, it had been a struggle for me, but it had also been a struggle for all of them. Because I had been a shell of myself for, like, we talking, like, four or five years. Doc. It's, like, like tragic. Or, you know, where it was, like, I didn't feel like me. I didn't move like me. I didn't talk like me. Sometimes I didn't even think like me. It's, like, you know, just the, the confidence was going and all these different things. But I said all that because I wanted to, I wanted to get back to sort of uh, the taboo 
around plastic, plastic surgery. surgery you know and yeah. the first one of the earlier things you said when you start when we started talking about plastic specifically mm. was a lot of your your uh your breast implant patients were breast cancer patients yeah. not you know not not the not the person wanting to go get the lift these are these are people that absolutely knew, need yeah. need need you for for something that that is uh I don't know. I don't know if people. I don't know if majority of people can relate to what happens after something that severe. And I can't relate for damn sure. You can. You and, did. In a, oh no, in a way. But even that, it's it's a part of your anatomy. It's the same your, thing so that you, you are, had. It yeah. was, that's the whole point about plastic surgery that I think the media has misconstrued. And plastics. It comes from plasticos. It means to mold. Mm-hmm. And it's not supposed to be this quote-unquote fake thing that people think about it's to restore form and function primarily which is what we did for you which is what we do for our cancer patients and then the other really fun aspect of it is that we get to make people feel really comfortable Mm -hmm. in their bodies whether that be from just a simple breast augmentation Mm -hmm. or from a rhinoplasty or from getting their eyelids done (laughs) or from you know doing a tummy tuck it's because People enjoy living in their bodies and they should really like get to experience the best version of themselves. So as much as we do, you know, in the cosmetic world, we do that much more in the reconstructive world. Absolutely. The things that I've been able to be involved in far exceed the amount of cosmetic surgery that I've ever done. Exactly. I had a patient once who thankfully didn't go through, but he was so depressed. He tried to um, commit suicide. Mm -hmm. He took a shotgun and um, thankfully it did not uh, end his life, but it did take off part of his face. Wow. So here's plastic surgery. I had to reconstruct his face from everything from his nose down in the center portion was gone. He had no teeth. He had no jaw in the midline. He had no nose. Um, And so we had to create it Hmm. from the base up. And that's plastic surgery. And people forget that it's more reconstruction than it is the other fun stuff of just giving somebody a nice pair of breasts so that they can really enjoy the being in this this body of theirs. Wow. And that that was exactly what I experienced in dealing with you and everyone at Tri Valley. Shout out to Tri Valley. Yeah. All my favorite people. Nick. <laughs> She's gonna <laughs> I, love this. I know, I love her. <laughs> She's so tight. But everybody in the office is really dope. They're uh, fantastic people. Um that was one of the things I had to sort of get over. It's like ta- with this weird taboo that was that yeah. was hovering around plastic surgery. I'm like, I need help. Like, <laughs> yeah. Forget what anyone is going to think if yeah. this is the best option. And this has been like out of all the treatment. And we're talking years yeah. of people coming up with crazy ideas. Oh, you could do this. You know, but you came in with the plan. You're confident and you made believers out of all of us. And standing before you today one of your biggest fans well thank you so much and i'm glad you joined us uh you can't leave without uh telling us what's on your uh surgery play your surgery right my surgery playlist (laughs) he's like i gotta hear this (laughs) it's it's always 90s hip-hop like it's like my straight up jam having control of the music in the operating room is like it's like a rite of passage. So you don't get it when you're a junior. And like, so PGY stands for postgraduate year, meaning your years after, like what year you are in residency. And so when I graduated, I was a PGY eight. So I was like hella old, right? Like, <laughs> like there are people who like are internal medicine, they graduate PGY three and then wow. they become like, you know, an attending, like an ER doctor. And then that PGY three is like telling me what to do. And I'm like, I'm PGY eight. Um, <laughs> anyway, so the like, you don't get control until you're a chief. Yeah. And even then, you have to then basically be on good terms with your attending at, when you're in training. So one of the funny things was that, like, I would always, whenever the attending would, like, be like, all right, like, we're done here. It would be like, you know, getting the patient's dressing on or whatever. And I'd be like, change the music to hip hop. <laughs> like, it, like, immediately changed from something that, like, nobody wanted to hear to something everybody wanted to hear. <laughs> so it's always it's always 90s hip hop every now and then i let like people just like mix in whatever they want Mm -hmm. but anytime i told you i told you the story of like it was like jay-z was like on to the next was coming on i was like we gotta get on to the next i was like keep (laughs) sewing like we gotta keep going um but i think it is just one of those like beautiful moments and loving what you do Mm -hmm. and why it doesn't feel like work but it just 
feels like me is because I have these things that are mine within this little world of mine, which is my 90s hip hop, my like funny hats that I like to wear with like all the flowers on them. Like, um, it's just like there's small little things that you get that are yours and you get to really enjoy being a part of. And everybody in the operating room is always down to my 90s hip hop. Like everybody. I think it's because we're all the same generation. <laughs> is there a system in the OR? Yes. And so when they when there used to not be a system, people would bring their iPod and like a little like boombox mm-hmm. and we would just put it in the OR. But now all the ORs are like connected. So you just like plug it into usually like some wall connector and it plays through the overhead speakers. Uh, and sick. Sick. yeah, and it's it's just awesome. I mean, like sometimes you'll walk by an ortho room and they're playing like hardcore rock and it is so loud i once had an attending he's amazing plastic surgeon at cornell and he used to play luther vandross at like the loudest decibel that's kind of like, dope you could not even like hear yourself <laughs> like think well, yeah basically you're like sewing and you're like so i and i honestly i'm embarrassed to say but i had never really like heard much of his stuff before but i am such a fan now because i've heard like a year's worth of it yeah and it like it gets into your soul like you're as you're like operating like a mad woman but i think these are just like the things that like lend yourself to be able to explore different parts of the world and as like a very rare female plastic surgeon like having something of my own just like makes me feel that much more confident and that's that's my jam Let's meet the brave. Tanya Judge, thank you for coming. Thank you. Nice. Thanks for asking that question. (laughs) This episode was produced by Chris Santos of At The Ass Studios. And we'll see you next week.